Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur and you're driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. This is a podcast brought to you by Faith Driven Entrepreneur. You can check us out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Please send us any questions, any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you, and any thoughts about or questions on being a faith-driven entrepreneur. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. Last week, we started an interview with David Morkin. David Morkin is the co-founder, chief executive officer, and chairman of Bandwidth. And if you listened last week, you'll remember that Henry Kasner, yes, our Henry and David founded Bandwidth together. And we started an interview with David. And I tell you what, it was so good that uh, we, we had to cut it off because of time, but we didn't want to cut off everything David had to share. There are so many nuggets of wisdom there's inspiration, there's good learning. There's just so much there that we wanted to come back and dedicate this episode to the last half of our interview with David. So we're going to go there now. And thanks for listening once again. Talking about packs, we're on a hiking trip with our boys a couple years ago and with Luke and Sam as well. And also one of our closest friends and his son. So a bunch of boys and dads on the trip. And tell us about some of the reflections that we had together they thought about about the seasons in which times went well at bandwidth and the seasons in which times were really hard, maybe some even times that they were characterized by some self inflicted wounds. How would you summarize that? Do you remember do you remember that trip and, and kind of the framework that, that you suggested? There's a great notion that and this I think you guys are gonna be able to relate to, which is you can be really impatient as an entrepreneur, as a capitalist. You can want your timing. You can want your time frames. You can have an internal rate of return you expect out of yourself that is artificial, that you're dictating. You're setting the pace. You're calling the tune. You want the cadence to be determined by yourself. And if you look through the scriptures, God's timing when it comes to the call on people's lives, whether it's David waiting forever to get the throne and to lead, or even Abraham, after getting the promise of a child, it's decades into his 90s, right? And so God's timing is not our timing, even after you get a clear call. So in the, what do you do? What do you do walking across deserts or through seasons when you're firm that you're on the right path with the Lord, but things don't move as fast as you want? Well, you're tempted to be willful. We're all tempted to be willful, to grab the ephod like Saul, and not wait for the prophet and just rock and roll onto the battlefield like a nut job, right? That's what he did. He dictated the pace. And instead, faithful means, faithfulness often means, and this is so stinking hard, faithfulness and being in tune with God's timing, in my experience, often means patience followed by kairos time, which is different than chronos. Chronos is just the regular metronome ticking of the clock. Kairos means everything is coming to a head in the next six weeks and you better be tuned into the Lord. Your life had better be right. You better be ready to follow and walk worthy of what he's doing right now. Pay attention. Here we go. Hurry up and wait. That's the Lord. But deciphering or determining when that moment comes versus when Henry and I just wanted to make something happen. You can't be passive. You can't be walking along passive. Sometimes being passive 
is as bad as being willful. If you're passive when the Lord needs to have a partner to make history, you blew it. And so there's this horrible tension between walking with the Lord in his timing faithfully, ignoring fear on the one side, greed on the other, adding value, being creative, and not being willful and not being passive. And how do you reconcile that tension? Well, in my experience, you got to ask yourself, is my decision right now about this budget or this priority or this R&D effort or this partnership or this termination or this hiring, is this me? Is this me? Am I loving this person? Am I taking responsibility in a healthy way or is my motive somehow jacked? So check your heart and determine whether you're being faithful in the way the Lord would want in a context or circumstance. Hence my most common prayer. Now you get it. Jesus, help me because I'm trying to figure that out all the time. Tell us about the way that you're intentional about loving on your employees and how you think about benefits at Bandwidth. Tell us also about the new initiative that you're really fired up about. At Bandwidth, we've got a whole person concept. We define a whole person as body, mind, and spirit, and we make the whole person promise of doing meaningful work and having a full life. We really make that concrete in policies like forcing you to take all your vacation, like an embargo that prohibits the company from contacting you about anything while you're on holiday. We have corporate chaplains for when you least expect you will need them. We have full health care benefits for you and your family that we pay for. We pay the premiums. You don't. And all of those, and we've got many more that I could talk about that are a lot of fun They're all focused on making you mission ready. So mission is number one. People are number two. But you end up investing a ton in your people because you need them to be mission ready and you need them to be ready at a moment's notice. So you invest in your people an awful lot. You don't want to look back and see lots of divorces, heart attacks, deaths. You don't want people to have broken lives as a result of prioritizing work and making it an idol. You want them instead to really kind of like you would as a parent. You want them to love each other in the way that they do work. And so we have policies that really try to emphasize that and deliver a meaningful life. So most recently, what I'm really fired up about is trying to, and we've got to solve it. It's not easy. And we're in the middle of this. So we're kind of in the birth pains of this effort. But we're trying to determine how we do an integrated on-site child development center, a Montessori school for age zero to five. We went and visited the Patagonia company, the clothing company in Ventura, California, to see how these folks there did it for 30 years, how they provided integrated on-site child development at the workplace. And I'm fired up about that because working families bearing sick, crazy student debt loads are putting off marriage, putting off children, and flailing in the marketplace trying to find really good quality child development care. And we can do it in a way that's tax efficient, it's proximate to the workplace, and we haven't solved it yet, we haven't done it yet, but we're thinking about that as a very deliberate effort to invest in working families here at the company that's meaningful. And it's one of the top issues that working women identify for us. And I just love the idea of doing work in a more healthy way than I see young families trying to do today. David, those are fantastic things. I mean, those are the kind of things that make me want to go to work a bandwidth, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to be totally congratulated and encouraged and all those things. Can you take a second and speak directly to the entrepreneur who's sitting out there right now who just heard that and said, you know, that's all good, but I can never afford that. Because 
And there was a time in yours and Henry's business cycle where you couldn't afford it either, but you made a decision that you were going to pay 100% of healthcare benefits, that you were going to make sure everybody took their vacation, ensure that people didn't get interrupted, even though things were really important while they're on their holidays or their days off. So speak directly to the entrepreneur to encourage them as best you can that they can do this too. They can do this. Okay, that's a great, great question. A couple of things. Number one, every young budding capitalist entrepreneur out there thinks they have to work the marginal hour, put in the marginal final effort to make things a reality. When in fact there's huge diminishing returns on your productivity in the waning hours of the day, and I could go on and on, and this is related to doing things like healthcare and other policies as follows. Early in building a company, recognize that you need to shut it down earlier than you think, that you need to determine that you're gonna give the marginal effort actually costs health and family the most, that you're gonna actually give that marginal time to the Lord for him to yield back to you. Offer it up, offer it up. You could basically say for Henry and I, early on in our budget, when we paid the healthcare premiums for the entire team and all their dependents, because we did from an early day when we couldn't have afforded it, we did it anyway. We were basically offering up that marginal part of our budget for bigger return, for higher yield. And we didn't always know whether that was practical or pragmatic or if it actually would. But in terms of our heart, it was very clear we were not going to make work an idol. And here's another thing. If you think you're going to be able to do great benefits and fun things for your team, funded by a private equity firm, you're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. So what does that mean for the young entrepreneur? If you think you are excited about making a difference in the culture of your company, keep control of your company or forget it. Forget about it. It's over. Over. You got nothing. (laughs) It's a direct hit to one of our business models, but that's a, that's a. Well, let's throw something in for the venture capitalists. Let's say that you are excited about, there have been different times at Bandwidth where we tried to raise capital. Through the grace of God, we were always very, very, very unsuccessful. (laughs) That allows David to be able to be like that. But I think that it's safe to say that this is absolutely something you should be asking your capital partner. Here are the different wacky things I want to do. I may want to do a Montessori school. I may want to do this. I may want to give people 12 weeks of vacation or six weeks of vacation. I may want to go ahead and shut down the business every day at 430 because I know that all my parents have soccer games they want to go see. Just being able to make sure that the person you bring in strapped to the masses is going to be as excited about the mission and making people mission ready as you are. And then you need to test it. Well, you've got to be courageous enough to actually bring it up. Because I've sat in how many investment meetings where nothing comes up about the culture, right? You're pitching to the VC. You know, the VC is asking you everything about the business model, asking you some things about the team. But they don't say, so what kind of culture are you going to try to build? What are those things that are going to make you unique and different for your ability to access talent and, and to retain talent? So if you've got these things that are part and parcel of the culture you're trying to build, you've got to have the courage to bring it up first. Yes. Right? Because if you don't bring it up and you just assume that they're going to accept it when it gets after the the money's been wired to the bank and and then you go, oh, by the way, we're in the process of building a Montessori school. Guess where that conversation's going to go? But if you bring it up at the beginning 
a part of who we are before they fund you, then they have a chance to say yes or no. And maybe there's sort of a lesson in there. So maybe David and I were courageous. Maybe we did get a chance to talk about culture. Maybe we got a chance to talk with time and hopefully gentleness and respect about faith. You know, there's a lesson in there, and that is that we went 0 for 40 in venture races. But the beautiful part about that story is that in God's divine providence, even though we were willful about getting out there thinking we needed to raise money, he was able to allow for the success he did. So, so many entrepreneurs think that in order for me to be successful, we have got to raise venture capital. And there's a season in life where David and I thought the same. Right, David? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm just, I'm reflecting back on different narratives in the Bible where God has a covenant with Abraham and then he wants to trade his wife right away and sacrifice the covenant. It's just crazy how quickly you can be called to be a founder and start a company and then give it up. It's like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're a Christian entrepreneur, culture needs to be an integral part of what you're doing and why, um, if you're doing it right, and don't you, you cannot give that up. And you can take capital and still keep control. You just, you got to be so careful because I agree, Russ, you can have a conversation with prospective investors about their values, but make no mistake about it, control is defined in only one way at a company, and that's board control. And that, as a founder, is the most priceless thing you have. You you mentioned something earlier, Dave. I want to go back to if listeners of our podcast will know we bring this up from time to time, but I'm not sure we've had a faith-driven entrepreneur on it that's actually employed this strategy. So you mentioned chaplaincy. We've talked about that at the highest level, and you said it so well, having chaplains for the times when you least think you need it. Could you just tell us a little bit about chaplaincy at Bandwidth and how it came about and how it's worked at your organization? I came from the Marine Corps where we had chaplains, and we had chaplains because people die. Mm. At Bandwidth, we had people going through experiences where they lost children, and we found ourselves early at Bandwidth being called on to be counselors, to be in emergency rooms, to try and solve domestic issues disease, life issues that were just, were focused on creating value and growing a company and were not trained as pastors. I'm not trained as a counselor. I can hardly control my own temper. And to be called on to be present in the crux of the most emotional, traumatic life experiences is something that takes and should have a chaplain. And so in our first year of putting them in the budget, our general managers said, look, we don't want this in the budget. It's X dollars a year. I'd rather put that into a couple of software developers and a product manager. And we said, look, we're going to do this for a year and then we'll talk, but we're doing this. And so we engaged the corporate chaplains of America and added chaplains to the staff. They're not trying to evangelize anyone. They will talk to you about the Lord. They will talk to you about Christ if you ask them. But fundamentally, they're going to get to know everyone in the company. And whether you need to get married because we actually had somebody on the sales desk register to online to be qualified to then do the ceremony for two other people. Or if you have, God forbid, a death and you lost your child to a DUI, the chaplains are in the emergency room. They know you. They're available. They're there. And so after a full year of chaplains on deck, our steely-eyed, P&L-owning general managers – refused to give them up. I said, look, are you guys ready? Henry and I, are, we're ready to trade if you don't want to do this anymore. And they're like, you cannot have them. You can take everybody else. You got to leave the chaplains. 
It's never been a question. And they are a force multiplier. In this case, they are a fiduciary no-brainer, but they happen to be a cultural multiplier that's just nuts. Tell me about the fiduciary no-brainer. Help make the case for chaplaincy. We get some pushback along the way. Maybe it needs to be called counselor or coach. What do you say, fiduciary no-brainer? What do you know about opioid addiction? Personally, not very much. Exactly. So you're a GM. You're a product owner. You're a vice president. You've got two direct reports, each of whom have children fighting opioid addiction. And they are emotionally distraught. They don't know where to turn. We absolutely have healthcare benefits that are appropriate, but we got a chaplain. And that chaplain is not just better to handle issues like that than your general manager, product manager, software developer leader. They are going to free up that team to continue the mission. So you're taking care of the rank and file. You're taking care of the people through a chaplain as opposed to telling, I mean, can you imagine looking at your Stanford MBA and saying, go talk to your direct report about his 18-year-old daughter's opioid addiction for the next six weeks um, because your employee who, who's, whose daughter's going sideways is not being productive at all, right? Yeah. That Stanford MBA is going to be like, what? What are you talking about? I'm just going to write him up and fire him and hire somebody new. No way, man. And so it's a force multiplier on productivity, on the health of your organization. That's been our experience. Again, I applaud you because this idea of being mission ready and mission prepared, it's almost like a lot of us think that, you know, once you walk outside of the door, none of that really matters because you'll be okay when you walk back in the door tomorrow. But it's that downtime in between where the rest of life actually happens. I have this thing that years ago somebody gave me when I first went to work, actually. I was working at Pratt & Whitney, and it was a story of uh, an airplane engine or an airplane that went down, and it went backwards the plane that went down because the engine stalled, because the engine seized, the engine seized because of the piece that didn't fit exactly right, that wasn't tightened, because, and it goes all the way back, because the baby was colicky the night before. Mm. And the person on the floor who was supposed to have tightened, you know, just wasn't at the top of his game because he'd been up all night long with the baby. And we just forget right? What happens outside the door is all part of being mission ready. So uh, it makes sense to me that that's a fiduciary no-brainer. I forgot to mention it. bandwidth babies are free. We actually pay all the copay deductibles in our healthcare plan just to motivate people and encourage them that being fruitful and multiplying is a good thing. And that's a whole nother, I could talk about the yield on that. So the responsibility that having children instills in an executive, mm. fan freaking tastic. <laughs> I could I mean the that's another no brainer for us. Encourage people to get married, and actually, you're famous for that. They yeah, very famous at bandwidth. If you've had like two or three dates, Dave wants to know when the wedding is. Game on. <laughs> yep. Game on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I got no problem with that. Uh, okay. I, I wish my I wish my wife would listen to your advice. She made me wait two years. I was ready three dates in. Uh. Dave's yeah. in, three dates in. Dave's yeah. three dates in, four dates in. True story. Tell us about what are some other things that you think that a faith-driven entrepreneur needs to know? What are some other things you'd like to mention as encouragement or warnings or just other things that the average faith-driven entrepreneur may not be thinking about? It's okay to be driven. It's okay to be driven. 
and it's okay to have faith and be driven. And your faith is going to help you. I mean, it's often the case that many of us are just obsessively driven to create or to lead or grow something. And your faith is going to help leaven and temper and mitigate the temptations that come with being driven. And that faith is an acknowledgement that God, if he's real and faithful, is going to help you. He is not going to pull the rug out from underneath you. And what that means is you do not have to make it an idol. You do not have to spend your health on your entrepreneurship. You do not have to spend the waking hours of your children in the evening on your business in order for it to succeed. Take a moment and ask God to help you. And you got to show restraint. It's okay to be driven. But your faith should mean that God is working when you're asleep. And that's that's one thing. I would also say if if you're out there as a solo entrepreneur... Get under a desk and pray for Henry Kastner as a business partner. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it does prove that God has it's, a sense of humor. Henry's got plenty of free time, so just pray for him specifically. <laughs> Lots and of free see, time. see what phone rings. You never know. Yeah. That's right. Uh, raising three boys is easy, I hear. I mean, compared to David Six, right? Well, you know what I do? I love talking about this. You talk about the foundational values of, of bandwidth. I talk about this a lot about it. faith first, then family, then work, and then fitness. And I tell people, and I said, I'll pack them in reverse order. I'll talk about fitness first. I, you know, my best friend and business partner, David Morgan, is a world-class endurance athlete. And I live in a neighborhood. Uh, well, I'd say I'm a neighborhood class endurance athlete and I live in a neighborhood mostly of retirees but I usually win but then I go ahead and I talk about work and then I talk about family and I said well between us we have nine kids and I talk about the fact that I've got three and David's got six again world class neighborhood class <laughs> and I'll tell you one of the things that actually comes back to the fitness part is I was with David and lived with David through training for the world championships of the Ironman mm. and he never had a workout when his kids were awake Mm. He trained for the World Championships of the Army. He then trained for the Wasatch 100 without any type of training that took him away from his kids. He prioritized, very regimented, and he's a remarkably gifted endurance athlete, but that his passion for athletics is not more important than his family. Amen. And that's how you do it when you have six kids. Amen. That's a great testament. As someone who... Uh Barely made it through mile three of a half Iron Man. I totally empathize with not being trained for that. So that's Did you impressive. drop out? No, I finished. I finished. I just realized at mile three that I, I had no enjoyment left, and I can't imagine why I'm here. I was like, <laughs> I just was halfway there. I was like, you know, the first part of the swim in the bike, that was kind of fun. That was a good yeah. test. And I was like, I have 10 more miles to run, and I'm not going to feel any better about myself if I finish at all. <laughs> but I did, and I was right. I didn't feel any better about myself at all. Like, I'm never doing that again. That was awful. David, we cannot thank you enough. For our listeners, you know, this is just one, an amazing story of your story and how God has taught you what he has through this journey. And for our listeners, too, it's just amazing to finally get to hear the other piece of the puzzle here. You know, we get to hear about Henry's best friend and business partner all the time. And to be able to hear you live is just an amazing, amazing thing that I'm just really thankful for. So thank you so much for joining us and taking the time out of your day to bless us and our listeners with your insights and your thoughts and your faithfulness along this journey. My pleasure, William. And thank you, Rusty. Thank you, Henry. Awesome. Awesome to be here and love your podcast. Love you, partner. Thanks, David. 
thank you so much for joining us on the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. Please go to faithdrivenentrepreneur.org and let us know if you have any questions, any of those tough ones that you'd like us to tackle. If you have any videos, articles, sermons, or podcasts that have been helpful to you on your journey, we'd love to see them too. Just send them our way. Lastly, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you in any way, we'd appreciate you commenting, sharing it with others, and subscribing. This podcast would not be possible without help from many of our friends. Music by Carl Cadwell. You can see more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And editing by Johnny Shue. Thank you.